This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me once again is Shay Dixon. Shay, um, we're taking a little break from all of our basketball exodus write-ups uh, to, do a, to do a football podcast. So um, how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, by the time anyone listens to this, more guys will be in the portal. They had two in the span of about five minutes between Justice Williams and Bradley Azawiro. Uh, what, we're Wednesday at around lunch right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how all that goes. They've also added a couple transfers this week, which you've done analysis pieces on. Uh, for the site if folks want to check that out but yeah we'll go football heavy here and and we offered uh, up to the board you uh you said we'll go open-ended here y'all ask the questions we'll give the answers um so some people who actually chimed in there it looks like we've got about double digit questions uh we'll get their questions answered yeah yeah well we're gonna answer the questions first obviously we've been to practice now what is this three times uh, three, times. So three times in uh, spring camp. Uh, they're about a weekend at this point. So uh, obviously it's still early. And that's, you know, the preface that we always want to say whenever we do these. It's like, all right, nothing here is certain. Even in the first couple practices we went to, it was like, okay, well, where's so-and-so? Where's so-and-so? So um, we did, I, I do think the third practice we did, where we were able to see a little bit more. Uh, than the first two as far as just personnel-wise. But obviously in the second one, we saw some 11-11, 7-on-7 stuff. So we have a pretty decent grasp here, so we should be able to take on these questions. So let's let's get into it. First question, uh, what position group has surprised us the most on both sides of the ball? I would say, and again, like you said, we've only been to three practices. Now, granted, this Thursday they practice, but we don't have access. Saturday they practice. And we get to watch the entire thing. And we've never gotten to do that in the Miles era, never during the Orgeron era. So we'll at probably get a pretty glimpse, a good glimpse of the team and a lot of these answers uh, then. So maybe this is even a little premature. But I'll go corner on defense because – and what I guess surprised me is that they only returned two guys, neither of which have ever started, um, in Demaris McGee and Ray Darius. And they had to be on a lot of guys. And it wasn't like they were plucked, you know, getting an Eli Rex like Bama did from LSU, who's, you know, a five-star, started multiple years and is coming from another big SEC school. Uh, granted, they got an arc, a couple of Arkansas guys. But point being, between Jarek Converse at OSU and then Makai um, Garner at UL uh, and Greg Brooks playing some nickel, whatever is happening out there, Brian Kelly's been impressed enough to say that that's a position he felt like if things kept trending in the direction they are, that it'll be a strength of the team. I would have said it was one of the biggest weaknesses yeah. just a couple of months back. So maybe that's not a from me viewing it, but just hearing Brian Kelly say it, he obviously gets to watch everything and, and knows his positions or at least becoming more familiar with everybody, and he feels good about it. So defense, I would go corner. Offense, I'm not sure. Maybe that's – Offense is tough because we like receivers, you know, we didn't, we haven't got to see all the receivers uh, running backs. You know, there's only so much you can really tell in like the 11 11s. Um, 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. O- offensively, I would probably have to go quarterbacks just because we've seen the most out of them. And I think Jaden Daniels, to me, has looked the part early on. And, and so I'll, I'll go uh, quarterback for offense and uh, defense. I'll go defensive line just because maybe it's just because I'm I'm still adjusting my eyes to SEC athletes. But good Lord, man, they, they are just freakish athletes on the field. So, yeah, those will be my two. I, uh, yeah, I think a quarterback and the fact that Walker Howard's throwing, which we didn't think he would, he's having, as you noted in your notes, doing sort of a silent uh, cadence and count because he's still got the thumb injury. But um, him being out there and throwing was a big deal that it's way ahead of schedule, uh, at least from what uh, it seemed whenever he ended his high school season. And then, as you mentioned, Daniel's coming in from ASU on very short order. I mean, he got here like a week before spring ball began. Uh, and now he's out there, you know, at times running with the ones and then trying to get him acclimated. So, uh, yeah, those those are a couple good ones. Corner for me probably is my number one answer because I would have thought it was a weakness and Brian Kelly's calling it a potential strength. Yeah. And then um, watching it was interesting watching Tyron Matthew yesterday, uh, like almost eyeing the safeties the whole time, just standing there like a father, you know, just like, OK, yep. how are y'all doing this? How are y'all doing this? And that's what they've got him there for. Observe practice. I know he's speaking to the team today on Wednesday, sitting in on meetings. So uh, I think they're trying to get as much from him as, as obviously he is getting out of the trip back home. Yeah. All right. Second question. Uh, what is the scheme on offense and defense? Now, obviously, like like we said, it's been three practices, and I don't even know if Denbrock and House fully know the scheme they're going to run. But I think we can start on defense because what we did see when, in the 11-on-11 11 11 was – a three three five over type type style that Madhouse ran at Kentucky pretty much with the three down linemen, the three linebackers with one being an outside linebacker. I call it a Jack linebacker out there and a Mike and a will on the inside uh, with Greg Penn and Mike Jones manning those inside spots um, and then five defensive backs. So that's what it was early, at least, you know, for us watching the 11 on 11, uh, it was a three three five type scheme. Yeah, and it was Greg Brooks was playing a lot of nickel, which he was signed here to do out of Arkansas. You know, you've got two corners, two safeties. Um, They've got depth at linebacker. So, you know, between experienced guys like Baskerville or Mike Jones to guys they're bringing along like Greg Penn and and others, um, we'll see. And then Harold Perkins gets here this summer. So uh, you feel like those two spots will be good. And, yeah, that stand-up edge that you mentioned is a spot where we've seen – B.J. Ojolari, you call it a jack linebacker, whatever, but it's those, yeah. you know, your lighter pass rush DN. Yeah. And Xavier Carter was in that mix. Philip Webb was in that mix. So it'll be interesting to see as spring goes on how they kind of move those guys around. But um, we did also see for the first time what we presume is probably their top options on the D-line working out together, which was three down linemen being Jaquelin, Mason Smith, uh, and Ali Gay, and the stand-up guy being Ojolari. So whether Ojolari is standing up or hand in the dirt, um, I think he's going to be one of the best players in the team, uh, certainly one of the highest upsides in terms of NFL potential uh, for next year. So it, I think we've talked about it, but that group of you know defensive linemen, stand-up edge guys, whatever you want to call it, are probably the most impressive of the bunch so far for me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That that defensive line, if those three and if they get BJ Ojolari at that fourth, you know defensive end outside linebacker position that's pretty nasty uh front there for them uh offensively so, okay, so let's yeah let's say if house is bringing his kentucky deep is denbrock just bringing the cincinnati offense is that easy enough to is there <laughs> are we simplifying it too much do they do they not have enough tight ends to even run the offense ryan kelly and denbrock that, want to run 
Yeah, that that's the that's the concern I think because we've seen at least in the eleven on eleven type stuff, we did see a lot of Cole Taylor and Jack Mashburn, but a lot of times they were flanked out to a degree. It, it did look more spread than his Cincinnati stuff, and that might be because, um, you know, they only have two t- those two those two tight ends really. Uh, but it did look more spread. Jack Mashburn was in like slot positions at times, even uh, at which I don't want him catching really passes consistently. But uh, Jack, obviously, you have Jack Bash, you have your starting receivers, right? But then it felt like he was moving around the tight ends to be like, okay, where do we want them? Where are we gonna, you know, test them out and stuff? So I, when I say it was more spread, I think it's more testing out where they can put Cole Taylor and where they can put Jack Mashburn. Uh, but that that was kind of my takeaway from it because I offensively watching them there's not a ton you could take away i feel like it was more like the 11 11 on 11 i felt like was more of just getting to see those offensive linemen getting to see those receivers getting to see the quarterbacks with the bullets flying a little bit that that was my kind of takeaway yeah i think too that from talking to brennan miles brennan he said that they'll be under center they'll be in shotgun they'll hand the ball off you know they've got a variety of things that you would expect a, you know, a college offense to have. I mean, it's sort of all encompassing. It can be multiple at times, but he said the biggest thing when asked, he was like, Hey, what's it going to do to win the job? And he said, the coaches want someone who can run the RPO offense and get the ball out of their hands as quickly as possible. And I think people hear RPO and think, well, you got to have an athletic quarterback to do that. So Jane Daniels is going to win. And and that's probably oversimplifying it to a huge degree. I don't think you have to have some massively mobile quarterback to run an RPO. You just got to be able to get the, make the right decision, make the right reads and get the ball out of your hands quickly. And uh, Brennan said, that's what the competition is right now. And he said half the time spent with Denbrock is talking about how to clean up your release, how to get quicker, you know, the ball out of your hands more quickly. And, and Brennan said, look, we say it every off season, but he really feels like it's the truth now that Denbrock's philosophy is the court, the less the quarterback holds onto the ball and the more a running back, John Emery, or one of your receivers or one of your playmakers has the ball, the better. So it's a kind of just a situation where Miles said, look, it's all about understanding what he wants, getting the ball out quickly, letting our guys who can outrun everybody and outjuke everybody do that. And and whoever kind of comes out on top in that race is who they're going to go with. Yeah. Um, let's jump to... Another question on the offense here. Uh, how much does the offense defer between Brennan and Daniels? I would imagine it's going to differ. If if Kelly's already talking about his untapped potential as a dual threat quarterback, I would imagine they're trying to use Daniels as a guy who can run the football for him. And I don't know if that means two quarterbacks are playing. I don't know if that means Daniels never plays or Brennan wins a job outright or Daniels wins it outright or Nussmeyer sneaks up on, I don't know, but it seems for Daniels, what they love is that he's mobile in a, in a way that the quarter other three guys on the roster are not. And it's not that they're not mobile. I think that there's a view that for whatever arm Daniels has, his legs are just as good, if not better. Yeah. yeah it's, it's different. It's a different element when Daniels runs the ball. And I do, I do think it's interesting because at times depending on what football practice you go to. And obviously I'm not a coach and I wasn't a player, but when you see the quarterbacks uh, go through just the handoff drills to the running backs, what they do after they hand it off, sometimes they'll, you know, pick it up to to throw it or they'll act like they have the ball still. Well, when they go through the handoff and get it out the mesh point, they're running, you know, they're taking a couple steps outside um, to run with it. If Even if they've given the ball, you know, you just give that threat of keeping it. And I thought that was interesting. Um, so it does, you know, kind of tell me that 
at least they would prefer someone who can run the ball. And I think if Brennan does win the job, then there will be a kind of mobile expectation from him. I don't think they're going to be running him as much as they would run Daniels, but I think there will be a mobile component of, all right, we need you to get like three yards here and slide. Like we we just need you to be do something here to where you add another hat to the box. You know, that's always the same with, with coaches. So I think from that perspective, it, it's interesting going into this competition because the competition still hasn't started. I mean, we're, we're a week into this, like w- the coaches have seen these guys now, but they don't know what they're like completely at this point. So I, I just think from that perspective, it's going to be interesting, an interesting element to consider Daniel's legs and consider Denbrock's history with mobile quarterbacks. I mean, well, especially when you highlight Desmond Ritter. So that's what I'm looking forward to, to seeing. Yeah. And clearly if they're, if they're wanting that to be a big element to the offense, then yeah, Daniels probably is better suited for it. He is a natural runner. This guy ran for 700 yards last year. So I would, I'd be interested to see what the, I don't think we know what their offensive scheme is yet. I think they're figuring it out, but I think that what we've seen from them in the past is that they'd like a, a guy who's mobile at quarterback. And that's why they went and got a Jaden Daniels. Yeah. All right. Next question. Um, this one's this one's a tough one. What is the floor and the ceiling for this team? How long until contending? So I guess we got to call our shots here on March thirtieth. About what five five months before the games start. I'd say the floor for me is winning one more game than you won a year ago. Which, in, as I've said before, that's if yeah. you're trying to what is improvement? Well, you won six games, so improvement would be winning seven. So I'd put the floor at seven. Um, I don't know what the ceiling is. I think double digit wins would be going way over the ceiling. I mean, there's you it's this is the off season, right? This is when everybody gets excited. This is when oh uh, the guys look great. They've got a new staff, they're being accountable, they're they got a new workout program and, and they look like they're all turning a corner. But let's remember, you finished the season with forty nine scholarship players or thirty what thirty nine, whatever it was. Yeah, thirty nine scholarship players. You didn't like crush recruiting in terms. I mean, you signed fourteen or what, fifteen high school kids, and mm-hmm. you know some of your highest rated ones. Walker Howard isn't going to play this year, so we're talking about this year still. So yes, you got some big ones, Harold Perkins, guys like that. But how many of those guys are helping you out right away? Maybe Perkins, maybe Will Campbell, maybe Emory Jones. We'll see, but certainly not all fifteen of them. And you had to go transfer heavy, and we don't know how good any of these transfer like West Weeks, Colby Field, some of these guys may not help you at all this year. They may, yeah. may just be playing special teams. That that might not be the goal, right? And I think that if you're looking at a team that was having to be rebuilt almost from scratch, that lost some talent from last year's team, that's lost guys to the portal, that's had to replace, you know, 15 new portal guys, that's working in a new starting quarterback, uh, potentially a starting quarterback that's going to come from a whole new school. It's not like if you get Brennan in there, he kind of knows – the offense or whatever he does that's what Brennan said I don't know the offense this is a new offense and then I pour into that nine of your 10 coaches are brand new your head coach is brand new your strength staff is brand new like to expect all that like people overlooked when LSU would just replace two coordinators in one year and thought oh they'll be fine when Jake Peets and Pelini or whomever it was and they'll be fine they'll all no that takes growing pains and you know, it may not work perfectly, or it may not be the best offensive scheme, or they may have to figure out and adjust the defensive scheme. So if they, if they hit 10 wins, I would consider that one of the biggest turnarounds in a long time, uh, kind of when you're looking at LSU type from one year to the next trajectory. I'm not there. I think this is an eight-win team probably. 
Yeah. I mean, and I, I think you were right with the floor, uh, not only in terms of my expectations, but as well as what I really think is possible uh, for this team as far as the floor goes. I think seven wins is a very, very realistic floor. Um, I do think Brian Kelly, having Brian Kelly raises that floor significantly. Um, how much it raises the ceiling, obviously, you know, we'll have to see him. At, he's never been in the SEC before, but um, and it is, you know, a different, a different level. But I think as far as the floor goes, Brian Kelly is about as reliable, consistent, and um, quality of a coach as you're going to find. So I, I trust the floor being seven wins for this team. Ceiling, I, yeah, I would assume nine. Like, if we're just talking 12-game regular season, I'm assuming eight. But, you know, if you include bowl game nine, uh, I, I think anywhere from seven day range. I'm, I'm really – I think that seven-day win range is really tight for this team because I can't see them going back to six, um, barring, you know – catastrophe just everything going wrong uh and i really would struggle to see them going nine and three in a the sec west and you know with with uh, even though florida state's not not a the juggernaut it used to be a, you're still starting off with a, a, a decent a solid program in, in florida state so um yeah I, I would say eight seven to eight is is my expectation seven being the floor eight or nine being the ceiling all right, let's let's see. Next question here. Can Daniels transfer again after spring since he's a grad transfer and hadn't played any games? I don't know the answer to this. Um, I guess I don't know the exact answer. It wouldn't happen often. I wouldn't expect him to transfer either because I don't think that they're going to name a starting quarterback in the spring. Yeah. And I think he'll understand that he came here to be in a battle, that it wasn't going to be given to him. So I'd be shocked if he transferred anyways. But so much – else goes into it like i remember didn't graduate went to the portal committed to oklahoma went to oklahoma never played any games but the hurdle to get past was that he had enrolled in summer school so then you were dealing with ou's classes and transferring them back to lsu and uh, becoming eligible again immediately so there's a lot of hoops to jump through when you're kind of trying to get past that much red tape of transferring transferring and you know ending up at a third spot in the span of just an off season so i i don't expect that to happen anyways yeah uh what players are elevating their game and ready for a bigger role i might have to, I might have to think about this for a second i i mean john emery has looked good i think i think that's number one on the list right yeah, John Emery's looked really, really good at this point. And so you go into now a season, or you go into at least a summer, where you're like, okay, they should have a number one back here. A number one back that is an SEC back, like a tight Davis Price level floor, I'd say. Like John Emery has the upside that we've always known him to have. It's just been him getting on the field. So um, I think he's looked the part, I'd say he's ready for a much bigger role in this year's team. And that's not to say Corey Kinder, Armani Goodwin and the company aren't good as well. They've looked fine, but John Emery is, is my answer to this question. Yeah. I like Emery. And I, there was a good, if you, it's on our board, but if you go to LSU football's Twitter or social media, um, they're putting out videos throughout the spring of getting to know all the coaches and Denbrock was the first one they put out. And we had seen Emery fumble at a practice and, and I'm, I'm guessing this looked like it was kind of in that same period, uh, but they had the video of Denbrock mic'd up and he had pulled Emery to the side and, you could watch it. He goes through a thing about, look, don't get your head down, learn from the mistake. But he told him, he said, look, we're, it ain't like we're going to stop giving you the ball. Uh, we need you to step up. So I think they know they're pushing Emory to be that guy, to, to be the senior, to be the five-star that he was coming out of high school. He's got the natural athleticism. 
if you can just put it all together, it'll be really good. Um, but I think there's a lot of guys on the team that you would say fit into a role of understanding that they have to elevate their game. Jack Besh, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas, Chris Hilton, a lot of guys who are freshmen, Mason Smith, Jaqueline Roy, guys who are younger, that it's evident now. It's like, okay, you can start, but how far are you ready to take it this offseason in terms of, of really developing? So I would say that out of that freshman group and even into the sophomores, guys who were freshmen and were sophomores, that there's a ton of guys that fit the mold. But I like the Emory answer because he's a veteran. It's like the time is now type thing. Yeah, no, I'll throw Xavier Carter out there. I'll throw Philip Webb out there, um, just as other names on the on the defense that have been impressive so far. All right, next question we got is more info on the SWAT. Or I guess this isn't a question. It's like a demand. More info on the SWAT team and le- and leadership program. Uh, you you know this better than I because I showed up. I didn't even talk to Jack Besh when he was there, but but you did. So you got the scoop on this one. And that might be my fault. I read out all these questions from the board. And if you end something in a period and not a question mark, it certainly sounds like you're demanding an answer to it, as opposed to just being curious, which I'm sure whomever wrote that was just curious. Let's no, see who yeah. wrote that. Um, LSU Ray 88. No, he did not give a question mark. He hit it with a straight period. Mm, so you better answer it. Demanding I've it. got you. I've got you, Ray. Um, I think I talked about this a little bit on the board, but – Besh said that Kelly's installed sort of a variety of things, whether it's weight room or academics, where you find out if you're above the line or below the line. And if you're below the line, you're not meeting all the standards and you're not at practice and all these sort of things. Well, Besh said that the SWAT teams are uh, 10 teams that were the whole, you know, 10 captains were named and he named some of them. It was him and Mason Smith were the freshmen or, you know, on the, as captains and, Brennan, Jay Ward, Ojolari, Ali Gay. Um, let's see if I was missing him, but he, he listed off a number of them. So you kind of get the point. Guys yeah. who who were looked to as leaders, put them all up on the board, and those 10 guys drafted themselves a team. And that team is who each guy is responsible for, and within that team, sort of responsible for holding each other accountable. And um, that's everything from workouts to tutoring to showing up to class to getting good grades to um, sort of things you wouldn't even think of. An example I used, which Besh had shared, was if you and at least two other guys, meaning three guys from your team, go and watch the softball team play or the baseball team play or the basket, one of the basketball teams play, you take a photo of you guys at the game supporting and being together and you send it into the coaches and you get, you know, plus three points or whatever Besh said it was. And uh, if you go, and we've seen John Emery doing this a lot, he shared some photos on social media. If you're going to in your spare time to read to a local elementary school, you get plus five points. And uh, I think it's really just about, in you know, putting forth some accountability, putting forth some, it's bigger than me. You know, it's, it's the team effort. And um, Jack said, look, and then you add up every kid's total and that's how many t- total points your team has for the year that week or whatever it might be. And they put them up on the board uh, and your teams are ranked out one to 10. And someone had asked them, you know, what's, what do you, what's the reward for being one? And Jack Bash, very straightforward, dead serious, just like not being number 10. And he said that there's now, you look up there, and if you see the team at the bottom and has these guys on it, and you say to yourself, those guys don't buy in. They don't try. They don't, they're not putting in the effort that all of us are. And uh, I think that's what Brian Kelly wants to create, not just competition in terms of winning on Saturday, but competition on the team and understanding that everybody's got to ha- have a level of buy-in that, is different from what they're used to. And Kelly talked about that. He said the there's an adjustment going from one head coach to the next always. And he said, 
And he, I don't think he was trying to say that any slight on Ed Orgeron. He just said, my way of doing things is different than a lot of head coaches. And these guys are going through a massive adjustment period. But Kelly said he was proud of what he's seen because he had kind of, without knowing the guys, just read through their, their transcripts or talked to people around the building and said, look, this guy X, Y, and Z just ain't going to make it. And sure enough, he said a lot of those guys have shocked him and have been some of the best guys he's had. So I think SWAT teams or whatever it might be, it's all about just building accountability. Yeah, um, that is a great that's a great tidbit, great uh, piece of information. I know we've talked about it on the board before um, and whatnot, but that's still always uh, interesting to me. Uh, do you want to answer this practice field one? Yeah, someone asked why is it called the Ponderosa um, where they practice. I guess you hear us reference that from time to time as, as being out in the Ponderosa, which is the four practice fields they have right next to the ops building. But um and I don't think I'm wrong here, but someone who, who knows better and could correct me if I'm, I am, but uh, Charlie Mack, Charles McClendon, one of the uh, more famous head coaches in LSU history, used to call it uh, the Ponderosa, and that sort of stuck over time. And then uh, years later, they actually named uh, the practice facility the Ponderosa after Char- Charles McClendon. So um, if you see kind of like drive by on uh, Skip Bertman Drive, um, the you know, wooden fence outside the practice facility, you'll see. Uh, the signage, and it says the Charles McClendon practice facility. So he coined the name Ponderosa, and I just don't think it ever left. Les was big on calling it the Ponderosa. I think he called it that like every single day. So um, not so much O. I don't even know if Brian Kelly knows that's the nickname, so we'll see if it sticks. Well, if he's listening to the podcast, now he knows. Oh. If he's listening to the podcast, then we need to take that $100 million back or whatever he's getting. He needs to be whipping these boys in shape. <laughs> not to be listening to us to yahoos talk about he, nothing he could be listening to us while he's on his his morning run you know shirtless just I, have running feel, around. I have a feeling the podcast we're way down on his podcast list way yeah. down there we, we gotta we gotta we gotta change that then we gotta tell him something we gotta get him going um i didn't know uh, that that's interesting it's interesting well you're story. learning new things um let's see if we skipped over someone said how long until they're contending again i think with any program at this level maddie b like if you're in lsu you're in the west there's always a path to contend like if you win win every game or lose one game along the way you're gonna get yourself into a conference title game you're gonna if you win the sec you're getting into the playoffs so we've seen multiple sec teams be in the playoffs i'm assuming that by contending they mean for an sec championship and playoffs so I would say two years. Like I don't expect that this year, but I would think by year two you're really hitting your stride. And and it's almost like when Orgeron started, right? Like you took over mid 16, 17, you're kind of rebuilding things. 18, you get Joe Burrow in, and you go to the first New Year's Six Bowl. And I guess since New Year's Six Bowls became a thing with the playoffs and all that, that was the first one LSU had been to. Uh, and then in year three, you're 15 and 0, winning a national championship. So. I would think year two is when you're expected to be back contending. Yeah, I think I think if if, if all goes right, I would assume year two as well. Because I like I said, I think the floor can continue to rise with with Kelly. I I just think he's too good of a coach and too reliable and too consistent of a coach to to not continue to elevate this program again. Ceiling wise, that obviously that's tough for 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 anyone to evaluate. But I think knowing what his floors and knowing what he is as a coach gives me a lot of trust and faith that year two we'll see market improvement across the board as far as roster construction, as far as just 
everything um, in 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 his program. So uh, I'm I'm confident that year two will be a year that you can look forward to and be like, all right, they're at least competing with to be you know second in the West or you know one of one of the better teams in in the West, and that's by default one of the best teams in the SEC and, and one of the better teams in the country. So. Um, that, that's going to be interesting. Uh, I don't think we really missed anything I have down. Um, we talked to miles Brennan and you wrote up the, the Q and a on that, on, on the site. Uh, what, what were your overall takeaways on miles Brennan? Obviously you've known him forever at this point, like since I was in like high school. Yeah. I've known him since he was in high school, which was like eight years ago now. So I think more than I, the Brennan we're getting now is one who he's older, he's engaged, he's graduated college, he's working on his master's, he's been through three head coaches, been through five offensive coordinators, as he said, this is my sixth quarterback battle I've gone into. He's done the whole going into the year thinking he's probably going to be the starter, and then a transfer and Joe Burrow comes in. He's got done the, I'm going in thinking I'm the starter, and then I get hurt a couple of games in, or gone in and thinking I'm the starter, and I get hurt right before fall camp, and he's gone through it all. I truly feel that he is a Jaden Daniels coming in doesn't mean anything to Miles Brennan, I don't think. And and he said, bring in 10 quarterbacks because I think if I'm at my best and I, it's me versus me, if I can dial it up and be where I think I can be, and a guy who came into three SEC games and threw for over a thousand yards, as Brennan said, that ain't too shabby. And and if I can find myself growing my game since then and learning more, then it doesn't matter who they bring in. I'm either good enough to start or I'm not. And And I think he's okay with that. So I don't, since Brennan's going anywhere. I think he's sitting here waiting for the competition. He's going to go through it. It's a fresh slate for everybody, Daniels and Brennan alike. None of these coaches know either of them. So uh, I think Brennan's just trying to use the spring to, to catapult himself, you know, best foot forward in these 15 practices and see what the sun, you know, where the summer takes him. Uh, and I think being a, a leader to the team is something that he thinks he can do that the other guys might not be in position to do. Jane Daniels doesn't know anybody on the team. You know, Walker Howard showed up two months ago. Nussmar has been on the team a year. Brennan's been here forever. I mean, he gets it. So I think he's trying to grab that leadership role and see how far it takes him. Yeah, I just looked up. He's 23, just turned 23, uh, March 2nd, 1999. And so I am, I'm about a year older than him. There you see, you could be playing quarterback if you would have just held on to that eligibility. Right, I'm saying. Um, all right, I think that's all we have. We, we got anything else, Jay? No, I'm glad those were good questions because it kind of took us around the horn there. So it was, that was nice. Yeah, that was that was really nice. Uh, like like Shay said, uh, practice on Thursday is not open. And then on Saturday, we will be there the entire time, uh, basically. Um, so, yeah, we'll have you all covered with that from front to back. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Send it to a friend. Follow Shay on Twitter at Shay Dixon. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Bruni underscore. You can follow Go247 at Go247. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, uh, feel free to check out the offers we have running right now. I think we have a dollar for the first month. That'll get you through the spring. So uh, give that a run. Um, and I've, like we've said, these are questions from our board. So we appreciate those on the VIP board for sending them to us. And those are some of the you know benefits of being a subscriber. So we appreciate you all for joining us. And we will talk to you all later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 